I seem to have a body which stretches into infinity. Body? Wait, you have none. Then what am I? You are a disembodied brain. Space, the final frontier. These are the recordings of the podcast Give Me That Star Trek. Its ongoing mission to explore all of Star Trek, to seek out new guests and new opinions, to boldly go where many have gone before. Welcome to episode 27 of Gimme That Star Trek, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Siskoid, and today we're talking about Trek's goofiest episodes and whether or not they're necessary to the show's enduring appeal. To help me with this, welcome my guest, the writer of Kill All Monsters, Michael May. Hi, Michael. Hey, Siskoid. How you doing? I'm, I'm doing fine. This is a topic that you suggested. Yeah. I um, It's something that I kind of hit on in recent times and uh, especially as I was introducing my son to the show. But uh, I think maybe even before that, I can't remember when, but I, I, I once saw an exchange online where one person was kind of making fun of the original series for having these episodes where Spock loses his brain and Abraham Lincoln talks to Kirk from the vacuum of space. And the person that kind of was defending the show was basically the response was, what's your point? <laughs> That's awesome. And, and they <laughs> totally saw it as a feature and not a bug. So until then, I kind of thought of these goofier episodes as guilty pleasures. And I enjoyed them, but I kind of felt the need to apologize for them. And I would never hold them up as examples of what Star Trek was all about. But the more I thought about it, and the more I like introduced them to my son and saw his reaction to a lot of these, the more I realized that they're every bit as much of the original series as episodes like City on the Edge of Forever or Balance of Terror. Pick your favorite. So I guess I just kind of decided to stop being embarrassed by them and start celebrating them instead. They're some of the most rewatchable for me. <laughs> well, we have to find the positive. Uh, and uh, <laughs> we'll analyze why that is, why they are actually important to the canon. Uh, but before we get into it, Michael, uh, you know, the listeners need to prove your Star Trek credentials uh -oh. with our usual quiz. What does Trek mean to you? That's a great question, because I sometimes I don't feel like I hold it in as much reverence as maybe the the topic tonight will, um, will show. I, so I'm not very reverential about it. Like I grew up, um, I'm about as old as the show, actually. By the time I was, I guess, in my teen years or even earlier than that, it was in constant you know, reruns. And it was really kind of more my older cousin's show or my... I guess my dad show a little bit. He wasn't like a huge fan either, but it was just something that when I saw it on, it would always grab my attention and glue me to it, but it was never something that I felt like I had to watch all of the time or really seek out to find it. In fact, one of the things that I remember um, about when star Wars came out is uh, my dad came home from work one day and he says, we got to go see star Wars. because people are telling me it's better than star Trek. And uh, that was a high bar for me. Like I was, I, I found star Trek to be enjoyable, but I was like, Ooh, better than star Trek. And um, that's a whole other podcast about whether that claim is true or not. But I always enjoyed the show. It wasn't really until, I guess, Next Generation came out that um, I really like started following it and, and becoming, I guess, what I would consider a fan of it. And then, no, you know what it was? It was the movies. 
it was the movies. Yeah, because like shortly after Star Wars, we the motion picture came out, and um, we saw that, and I enjoyed it. Really enjoyed Wrath of Khan, and so that kind of got me interested in like, especially Wrath of Khan, because it's so steeped in you know obviously the space seed, and the movies kind of drew my attention back to the original series, and um, when those episodes started becoming available on VHS, then I would pick up some of those, especially ones that, uh, you know, I kind of felt like were important episodes, like to the mythology. Like, I, I think it means fun to me. Like, I, I always enjoy the characters. I enjoy the immersiveness of the world. I remember during the height of Next Generation, just really fantasizing a lot about being a part of that world. And, and uh, you know, what would it be like to live on a ship like the Enterprise and work on a ship like the Enterprise and, you know, and kind of have that camaraderie with a lot of the, uh, the other fellow crew members. And it, it is something that is meaningful to me although again like i just don't i'm not enough of a hard sci-fi nerd to uh latch onto that part of it well you know uh <laughs> i played in uh, play by email games for a while there and uh, on, on ships like the enterprise and so, so i know exactly what my job would be yeah aboard ship because i had an avatar that <laughs> <laughs> what was it i mean i went for the the role-playing part of myself and i'm a uh, holodeck programmer okay in the game, although I'm not at all a techie, so, <laughs> you know, I'd probably be more like, um, I don't know. I, sometimes you see these uh, uh, literature experts yeah. and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah that's me. That's what I would, I would do something like that to you. I'd be like some kind of life sciences or... Yeah, uh, ethnologist. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, what's your favorite iteration of the show? You mentioned a couple, but... Yeah, and that's really hard. Like, that's kind of trying to pick between sweet and savory it's original series is just so much of its own kind of thing you take everything from next generation on and i can kind of pick out favorites from that but original series is just i keep coming back to it i just i love those characters i love just i love the ideas in it but i also love the wackiness of it and i love i love you know shatner's performances and uh i love spock and it's just i love the color of it it's, it's just almost impossible for you to, to choose between that and something like next generation where you just I think the characters are so much richer and and uh they have story arcs and and then like even deep space nine where you actually have you know long lasting story arcs that like you know plots that continue from one episode to the next and they all i don't know it's like i just I love picking and choosing based on kind of what my mood is but gun to my head uh i'm gonna say original series is probably my favorite but uh you know man i love next generation <laughs> so it's like a sophie's choice now. it is it is <laughs> So what's your favorite character from any of those iterations? Wow. Uh, Worf, actually. I don't even think about that. Oh. Yeah. I, I'm a, a huge Klingon fan, which may you know answer your next question. But I don't know what it is about Worf other than he is Klingon. And I kind of latched onto those guys um, during the movie era. I'm also like, I'm, I'm super fond of like this uh, character archetype of the person who is kind of monstrous on the outside, but has uh, trying to not say the words heart of gold, but um, virtue. Yeah. Yeah. So whether it's Frankenstein's monster or Chewbacca or King Kong, or King Kong maybe is not a great example, but depends on the movie. Right, right. <laughs> but, uh, but Worf certainly fits that category where, you know, you look at him and he's horrifying. He's like, you know, he's terrifying, but he does, he just has this rich, um, sense of honor, but this loneliness too, where, you know, he's respected by his crew members. There's no data to Worf's Geordie, right? There's, uh, you know, he doesn't have somebody he just kind of pals around with. Uh, and kind of Deanna kind of, kind of start drifting towards each other towards the end, but. And Jadzia. Uh... 
in, in, in Deep Space Nine. Yeah, absolutely. By the time you get to Deep Space Nine. He's friends with a couple people. Right, yeah. yeah, exactly. Which is one of the things that I really like about that show, actually. So, Klingon's favorite species? Yeah, I think so. Like, I'm also, like, I love the look of the Andorians. Like, they just, they kind of attract me for some reason. It's the antenna, I think. But yeah, just the Klingons are so fleshed out, especially as they appear in the next generation. You know, just the frequent visits to their home world and really deep looks at their culture and the whole, you know, kind of code of honor that they have is, is really appealing to me. Yeah, I'm surprised that more of my guests have not mentioned the Klingons as their favorite alien species. I would have thought that's the big one. Right, huh? But So I'm glad that you did because, yeah, I quite like the Klingons during the especially during the modern era mm-hmm. where they, they fully realized them. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of have to like, when you, you watch them in the original series and you can see the, <laughs> you kind of have to retcon like how you think about them <laughs> a little bit yeah. and it works. You can do it. But, uh, you know, a lot of those Klingons are not nearly you know, kind of the, as honor driven as they would eventually become. Yeah. I think that it's a different take on what honor means. And, uh, a lot of, a lot of Klingons are hypocrites, I must yeah, say. Yeah. <laughs> so even in the modern era. So yeah, True. I mean that, that's the only ones we see in the original series. So let's talk about the original series. All right. Uh, because uh, that's really where the goofiest episodes kind of lie. And maybe it's due to a different way of making television, or there's an old-fashionedness to, to the... I mean, some things were not meant to be goofy, but just turned out to be. But what are goofy episodes? What do we mean by a goofy episode? So the ones that come immediately to mind is uh, like Spock's brain, obviously. That, that seems to be the... High standard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I remember watching that for the first time, and it was fairly recently, like in the last few years. And uh, I am not a live tweeter, but I am on Twitter. And as I was watching it, I just... I literally couldn't believe what I was seeing. So I just started tweeting about it and it just got crazier and crazier and crazier as I went. And, uh, as somebody tweeted back, like, welcome to season three, but, uh, (laughs) and season three is notoriously goofy. Uh, although there are some really great, like serious legitimate episodes in that season, but, but it it is kind of, uh, heavy loaded. Uh, another one that I always saw as an example, and I'm not sure if you share this or not, but Savage Curtain, um, I find pretty goofy. Uh, and I think it's just space Abraham Lincoln is, is kind of what does it for me, but yeah, because sometimes it's, I don't know if the episode is goofy so much as one element of it is goofy and the, you know, Lincoln in space uh, (laughs) is just, just those words. Right. Right. It is goofy, or you know, some people might even name uh, the the Gorn costume, the Gorn yeah. look, yeah. as kind of goofy. Although the episode isn't Savage Curtain, yeah, Savage Curtain a little more though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Savage Curtain, you have Abraham Lincoln fighting and doing pretty well against Kalos the Unforgettable. You know, that's just a goofy <laughs> concept. And just the way that Lincoln appears, like you know, sitting on his monument throne in the vacuum of space, talking to them through the viewers, just uh, it's pretty crazy. But you know, space Lincoln, like you know, space hippies, like it's some things just make me smile. Well, the space hippies are, uh, you know, the way to Eden right. is supposed to be a bad episode, but I enjoy it tremendously. Yeah. So that's mine uh, as far as, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I love Spock's brain for the one line, Spock, you're a disembodied brain. <laughs> and, and Spock answers, fascinating. You know? So it's like... <laughs> it's so awesome. A fun drinking game is just to play, to, to drink every time. Kirk says, what have you done with Spock's brain? Oh, yeah. And I mean, that one is Looney Tunes. But the way that Eden has, well, the Space Hippies, they've got songs. Mm-hmm. It's a sing-along for most of it. <laughs> so it is ridiculous. It is, it's when the, the, the allegory to present day is a little on the nose <laughs> in their case. 
And uh, I'm not even sure they're Star Trek's on the right side of history in that mm, one, mm-hmm, in that mm-hmm. one. You know, Kirk and all that are the squares who uh, the establishment and and the space hippies. I, I don't know. I always side with the underdog and the the people who are you know fighting the good fight and fight the power. Yeah. In fiction, I tend to be on their side. Right. In this case, they happen to be wrong. Yeah. 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 yeah I, I, I mean, I have a lot of hippie DNA, <laughs> and uh, I can relate. I can, I can reach. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you we, we reach, um, yeah, just the way that they're portrayed and, and like said, the sing alongs. I mean, I love that stuff. I love it. I love the, the music in that episode. And Charles Napier, I just get a really uh, mm-hmm. giggle out of, uh, watching him because he does kind of go on to play such, you know, he, he often plays like military guys and, you know, very establishment kind of characters. So it's really fun. And even did in, uh, Star Trek itself in Deep Space Nine, he shows up as a, in Little Green Men, oh, uh, right. as a, a Roswell officer. Yeah. 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 But then what else? What about, uh, Turner? about intruder yeah yeah you know and almost like shatner's just being shatner i think there's a certain episodes where he just really gets to just go all out and that obviously is one of them I mean, you know he's playing a woman in kirk's body and uh he just relishes it it's possibly offensive but <laughs> yeah yeah that whole episode but well, yeah you know, sure. it is yeah but the premise is goofy mm-hmm. we might even mention i don't know uh, you know I, i'm thinking of cat's paw where right. the halloween episode yeah a piece of the action mm-hmm. especially once kirk and, and spock are sort of playing the mobster roles mm-hmm. uh <laughs> you know to the hilt it gets goofy I guess that's the. Is there a difference for you between a goofy episode and a comedy episode? Let's say like Tribbles. Uh, yeah, I think so. You know, and I've heard like um, I've heard Star Trek described. You know, as kind of the original series kind of described as a campy show, and I think that's that's not the case. Um, I mean, certainly it's not because there are some really great, again, legitimate episodes. But even like a lot of the funny ones, like Tribbles, are not not goofy. They're not campy. It's like. And I think part of it is intentionality. Like, Tribbles is intentionally funny. And I don't watch it as camp. It's not even... Susan Sontag? Did she write the the, the essay about notes on camp? I think I'm remembering that right. But um, anyway, I, I think she's the one who said something about how there's like naive camp and deliberate camp and uh and naive being you know they didn't set out to make it that way i don't think that like tribbles is not campy to me it's not even deliberate camp it's just it, it's the premise of tribbles isn't even really that comedic i think what makes it funny are the characters and the reactions to like what's going on and what's going and you know to each other and like it's one of my favorite episodes because kirk is just not really taking anything seriously but uh but there are other characters who are and think that he should and he kind of gets in trouble for it and so like i don't think of troubles as a goofy episode i think it's a very funny episode but I, th- I think the truly goofy episodes are that way on accident and a lot of them are about pretty serious situations and, and they're played straight but they just kind of fail in some way to uh achieve the levels that uh some of their more lauded you know some of the more lauded episodes do often it's the premise you know a society needs uh spock's brain and then well that's okay i i guess but then did they also remote control spock's body to the planet you know it, it falls apart very very quickly or sometimes you don't know that it's going to be goofy and then somebody comes out with uh the uh the constitution of uh, the united states and the flag and it's like <laughs> right crazy parallel development and you're going mm. yeah omega glory is definitely on my list as a uh a campy ep- or a yeah campy goofy episode just because yeah. of that I mean, there's a lot of these like parallel development 
kind of cultures in the original series and uh and some of them i think work just fine even though i mean that is a pretty hard to swallow concept for me but uh oh and i'm blanking on the name what's the one where they the, the, the roman culture uh, bread and circuses yeah and um like that one i don't find as as silly as uh the omega glory and, and i don't no. know if it's because of the, the specificity of you know that document um and that flag you know the symbolism and and even like the names like the basically the Yankees and the communists. Um, it's just, mm-hmm. it's just a little bit, uh, I don't know. It's, it's strange credibility so much that I start to snicker at it instead of, uh, get into it. But, but you said something interesting at the top of the show. I think you're right. The idea that these goofier shows, these, the worst episodes in, in a way, not the worst episodes. I'd say the worst episodes are the ones that are actually boring. Right. And there are some bad and boring ones mm-hmm. in the third season for sure. But those goofy episodes that people laugh at, that people who are not Trekkies or Trekkers or whatever fans will snicker and mock. And if you're a Trekkie, they'll laugh at that. That one thing that they haven't even seen. They probably heard the joke somewhere. Right. That these episodes are actually important to the success of Star Trek, to its longevity. Because the thing you snicker at that you mock is the thing that you want to return to. Because if you've seen all the episodes and they were in syndication for a long time, mm-hmm. still are, you're seeing them over and over and over. What what are the ones that you want to see again? And the the ones you want to see again are the ones that really, you know, the gut punch ones. Yeah. City on the Edge of Forever being one of the prime examples. And those, the, the silly ones, the ones you can point at that you can joke through Mm -hmm. that you can watch as a group and have fun uh, you know watching again and again because and doing the lines and i mean treating it like a rocky horror picture show kind of sure kind of deal so do you think that there's truth to that yeah i mean you want it to be like again this is a great it's really cool that you kind of brought it back to like watching reruns because that's that's how i you know started watching the show and the whatever random episode is going to be on that night you want it to be either really really good or really really bad it's like you don't want the ones that are kind of in the middle where it's just like oh okay i, I remember this one and i've seen it and it's uh whatever i'll go get yeah. some popcorn i don't need to see the immunity syndrome yeah Right. <laughs> right. Whatever. Right. Well, I mean, it, maybe it's goofy because it's giant. There's a giant paramecium yeah. in space. <laughs> I guess. I guess it can fall into the goofy, but yeah. nothing else in the show is particularly right. You know, nothing else in that episode stands out. Yeah. Yeah. Like you know, is is there some moment where Kirk just kind of completely not Kirk, but Shatner, like just completely just goes off the deep end? And like one of my favorites is um, Plato's stepchildren. And, mm-hmm. uh, which is a classic episode, you know, we got our first interracial kiss, you know, on screen and, and there's like some like legitimacy, I guess, to that part of it. Uh, but it's also an episode where a little person rides Kirk like a horse and Kirk is just like <laughs> Shatner is going for it, man. He is, he's whinnying and pawing and just, it is amazing. And, uh, it is just so ridiculous that love it, even though like a lot of the episode kind of gets, gets kind of drawn out and it's a little bit long for me, but, uh, I will come back to it again and again just because I want to see that pantomime. They like to do those pantomimes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. There, there's something to it because they do one in, uh, iMud has pantomime <laughs> yeah, as well right. to confuse the Android. This, that one's supposed to be sort of a comedy, but. I do find it quite goofy. Yeah, I do too. As well. Especially the pantomime is just, it's so nonsensical, which as it's supposed to be, right? It's, that's part of the plot, but, <laughs> but uh, yeah, just, uh, watching those, uh, normally kind of very serious and capable characters just putting their fingers on their chins and bowing and curtsying and fake, uh, Bellaray and 
whatever else they're doing. Because I'm thinking of other shows that have not, some shows don't have the, the credibility that Star Trek built and certainly did not go on to spawn, you know, to have that same popularity. Mm-hmm. You know, shows from the same era, shows like Lost in Space, shows like Time Tunnel, or and sometimes I, I watch those shows again, and I think they're Star Trek has that that range where there are some stellar episodes, pieces of drama that will stand the test of time. Mm-hmm. And then they'll have these goofy-ass episodes that you're just wondering what were they thinking. <laughs> and, of course, as the series went on and they, they lost budget, and uh, you don't get the big names, the big writers on later shows that you do on earlier shows. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the science seems to be fudged, and it increasingly becomes about science fantasy, and that's where the weird premises sort of crop up. Other shows maybe don't have that range where it's either a very solid show mm-hmm. and it does not have any camp yep. to it, or it's wall-to-wall camp. None of it looks good today. Yeah. And then that that's not enough. That's not enough to, to keep it in people's imaginations. Like, it has to have both. It was interesting you brought up Lost in Space because that show started off as fairly serious. I mean, it was a family adventure, but it was, you know, the stakes were real and like the danger was real. And then it kind of devolved into just complete camp. You can draw a line between like where the show kind of changed. You never had it like kind of both at the same time like you did in Star Trek. Like that was kind of, I think, part of the magic of it is within a season, you could have, you know, you could have Cat's Paw. Cat's Paw is a season two episode. There's a lot of really great stuff in, in season two. Or even in season three, we like, let's take the Enterprise incident Yes. As a good one. Mm-hmm. And then that, that one's back to back with Spock's brain. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So literally from week to week, you had no idea what you were getting into. Or day to day when you're when it's syndicated, right. uh, which is how most of us probably uh, experienced it. Yep. That really is part of it. And I think the old fashioned look of the series helps, I don't know, support the, the, the goofiness of it. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, the sets today and the fashions today look the datedness of it that's part of the goofiness in a way yeah you know today the shows are more realistic and at least we feel they are maybe in 20 years we'll think well (laughs) gosh (laughs) well it's even interesting watching like star trek discovery where they're they're getting really close and and this next season is going to be even more so overlapping with you know events from the original series and and seeing like just the difference the changes in the costumes um where you know they're supposed to be the same costume but for whatever reason they don't feel allowed to uh do faith recreations of those actual 60s wardrobes. I'm not saying they should. The, the Star Trek movies are actually closer, at least in mm. the, the, not the sets, but yeah. the clothing yeah. is much closer in the Star Trek movies, even though, um, you know, they've given it more texture, but right. it's still yellow and blue shirts. And yeah. Obviously, at the time, they thought this is futuristic and it, it made sense to their aesthetic, their futurism made sense to them mm-hmm. when they first designed the show. But it seems like today we're, we look at that and go, whoa, you know, no way. I, I think that's the computer revolution, mostly. Uh, N- nobody knew where that was going to go. You know, at the time they had these these rooms full of computer banks. Right. Today uh, we've got more power in, uh, you know, in a cell phone. Nobody knew what that would look like. And t- so today we have, we look at that and say, well, they were so wrong about that aspect of the technology yeah. and the, the way panels are, are set up and the way people interact with computers and consoles. That's what makes it so dated. But then that creates that wall where you say, well, this is a, a world that is a heightened reality where 
Of course, computers don't look like this. Of course, the future won't look like this. Of course, we're not going to be in miniskirts at the time. You know, <laughs> we can see it as its own world. And I think that sustains the goofiness of it. Yeah, I think so too. And, you know, it was futurist, but it's, you know, I guess right now we call it retro futurist, right? And there's, mm. I'm still very interested in that. Like, you know, when we were growing up, um, you know, we all thought we were going to have flying cars and jetpacks by the year 2000. And, but I just, I love the art, you know, from the time, you know, kind of the Jetsons bubble cars and, uh, mm. you know, floating cities and, and all of that kind of stuff. And so I think Star Trek really, the original series anyway, really plays into, into that element of it. It's like this future that we kind of imagined, at least people of my generation, you know, when we were kids, you know, yeah, it's not as realistic, but it was more optimistic you know, than, than the kind of features we imagine for ourselves today. And that's just, that's a thought that just now occurred to me. Like, I don't know if there's a connection between, uh, goofiness and optimism because, you know, like, yeah, the truth, the truth is closer to Blade Runner. (laughs) (laughs) And it's, oh no. I mean, I think about like some of the really great episodes of, um, the original series. I mean, I guess the one that's coming to mind is City on the Edge of Forever, which is a very dark episode. And, uh, it doesn't really steal from the general optimism of the world that Roddenberry built, but, uh, but it's not not really an optimistic kind of a... I, I don't know, but the memory you triggered in me is that when I was in, I don't know, third grade, maybe it's fifth. Anyways, I'm trying to think when this happened, but I, I have a flash, a memory of a futuristic city design that I had to present in front of the class. Yeah. Just drawings. And so I totally, at that age, I totally bought into the, the that idealistic Jetsons future. Uh-huh. So for sure, everything in media at the time, that's what we expected of the future. Right. Uh, or at least anything that the kids were allowed to watch. Later on, I'd be watching on, you know, on afternoon television, I'd be watching all these dystopian movies from the 70s, yeah. <laughs> the Logan's Runs and the, you know, the Forbin Projects. But as a child, that's not what the future is going to be. The future is going to be jetpacks. It's going to be flying cars. Mm-hmm. And I think that speaks to the, the child's imagination much more than, well, much more than, than dystopia, obviously. Right. Childish, something, well, I'll, I say childish. I don't mean it as... You know, a negative epithet. Right. But, you know, childlike or that, you know, something that's positive to children and then to young people and then to us as adults as well. Mm-hmm. I think that there's a connection between that and something silly and whimsy. And, you know, yeah. certainly the reason I like Doctor Who is the whimsy right. of it. Those ideas are all kind of mixed in. How close is all of that to camp and to kitsch and to goofy while realism what we call realism in science fiction you know tends to be pretty grim dark as we say now mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. gritty and awful and you know what's realistic realistic is the cynical view of the future because there are so many problems in the world and as as you grow older you become aware of more and more problems that were probably there when you were a kid and you you just didn't know yeah well kids live in the imagination and the positive and i think star trek speaks to that a lot more. So I think, I wonder, science fiction fans who, you know, people who became science fiction fans or science adventures fans at an early age, do they like the idealistic science fiction more as opposed to people who became interested in science fiction later? I don't know. For them, dystopia and is the better vehicle. I don't know. Yeah, that'd be a really great study, <laughs> like a research study. Yeah, somebody get on that. It's the thesis. Yeah. I, I give it up freely. I'm not going to do a master's on this. <laughs> Well, let's look at the present day, or the, I mean, the later day, the modern day, mm-hmm. because Star Trek later is less goofy, isn't it? Right. Because I can name, I, I, I did like a small exercise. I looked through lists of episode titles and tried to find like the, uh, at least some of the shows, what are their goofy episodes? And like for TNG, 
I wasn't sure anything came directly to mind. I mean, the Royale is sort of... Yeah, I don't know. I guess the premise is pretty goofy in the Royale. Like, I, I actually kind of like that episode, but, but, but I guess, <laughs> as I should, if, based on the premise of uh, this topic. But yeah, I don't know. That wasn't one that immediately came to my mind, but I, like Genesis is, is one that, oh, yeah. uh, you know, where you got the crew members de-evolving into prehistoric creatures, and you know, which is, it's meant as horror, but I, I don't know many people who actually find it that scary. I think a lot of people just kind of find that silly. As soon as Spot the Cat becomes an iguana, <laughs> start questioning the premise. Right. And there's a couple from the first season that I often just kind of skip over. Um, Code of Honor being one, Angel One being mm. another. I don't know what it is. Like, I don't enjoy either of those or, or Genesis or even, you know, the Royale or whatever on the same level that I do just the sheer, I guess I'll call it campiness of uh TOS, but I do kind of like that they exist though. <laughs> um, and I think some of it is just, I think the fact that these episodes exist kind of injects some needed humility into this show. Star Trek has uh, feet of clay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, for Deep Space Nine, I'm thinking of, uh, well, Move Along Home is the weird board game episode. Mm, mm. It's actually terrible. But like one small ship where they, they shrink down a runabout uh, and the, the crew members are like walking around circuit boards. Yeah. I mean, that kind of counts. And of course, Voyager has the famous, uh, if you go to <laughs> Warp 10, Janeway and Tom Paris will turn into uh, uh, salamanders. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> and uh, spawn a, a new race. Yeah. I mean, that's an awkward uh, morning after. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, I can't name any Enterprise episodes that are necessarily goofy moments, but necessarily goofy without being comedy episodes right. or uh, and discovery still in its infancy it's got one lighter episode and i guess yeah to date so does it stop working does the goofiness stop working once the show doesn't have that dated look and that same uh i don't know is it something with audiences a, as well yeah it's a great question because like part of me is like if we're going to call these goofy episodes a feature and not a bug then by definition don't we want all star trek series to have the same feature but i, I don't think that's actually true the fact is i mean i don't really want shows like tng and ds9 to have like these just super silly episodes um and uh yeah, I think I don't know. I think it's just something specific to TOS for me that uh, just kind of in the same way. I don't want every iteration to have like a Vulcan science officer or super colorful sets or you know a captain with Kirk's personality or whatever. Like that that might be just something I want to be special to uh, to TOS. I think there's a charm that comes with the goofiness that is specific to, to older shows. It's just a different way of, of making television. Yeah. Where, I don't know, there's something... Because, uh, you know, I mentioned Doctor Who earlier. Doctor Who is the exact same. I mean, it's got a long, long history. It was made... It was started in the 60s. And there are some horrifically bad stories that are very goofy, indeed. And, and don't weren't actually trying to be funny, but sort of turn out to be because, you know, the alien that week was so cheap that they made it out of a weather balloon, you know? <laughs> right. And there's a charm to that. People wonder sometimes why I enjoy Doctor Who, like the older Doctor Who, uh, as much as I do. And it's like, I know, I can see that the backdrops are painted and I can see the sets not wobbling. That's a, it's really a myth. Yeah. But, you know, you can tell there's sticky tape on this. It charms me. It's like I can see the, the workmanship Mm -hmm. I can see people behind the scenes struggling to create a show without any of the means that we have now. Today, as soon as we see something with bad CG, we're annoyed right. at the how bad it looks. 
and yet it's still you know a lot more uh, <laughs> advanced than anything that we saw in the 60s or 70s you know in the old days it's like those guys were just making it up as they went along yeah and i appreciate that immensely i don't know there's something to that quite beyond what we're actually seeing on screen yeah like you mentioned the gorn earlier i don't find the Gorn goofy. I mean, clearly special effects <laughs> have uh, and makeup and costuming has come a long way and and aliens like the Gorn or like the Mugato is another one that, uh, mm. um, you know, they're kind of quaint, I guess, by today's standards. But when I'm watching the show, if I'm at all thinking about the craft of uh, making the thing, that I'm kind of amazed by it, that, that they actually were able to do what they did on, on the budget that they had. But most of the time, I, I just don't seem to have any problems substituting what they look like with what they're supposed to look like, if that makes sense. Like, it, it, maybe it's my age and, and the kind of effects I grew up with, but when I see the Gorn, I don't see a guy in a rubber costume. I see a ferocious lizard man. And, you know, I kind of just, it, I get pulled into that episode. Like, that is, that's not one of the, the silly episodes for me. Well, you do write a kaiju um, comic. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, uh, you know. Uh, like you, I, I I quite enjoy the the old kaiju films, and obviously, what we're seeing is, <laughs> you know, <laughs> an echo of reality. Right. You have to fill in the, the terror, I guess. Mm-hmm, and and mm-hmm. whenever there's a uh, actually a terrifying moment in those films, it's even more terrifying because you're going. I, I can't believe they made me emotionally invested at that point. And these are just people in rubber suits, you know, right? Smashing down basswood models, <laughs> but. I mean, it gets me. So so it's the same thing here with these older shows. And that charm is not something that translates to anything that's even as, I mean, the late 80s are now 30 years ago. That's the TNG is like more than 30 years old. Uh, And yet it feels like modern television. You know, it doesn't (laughs) seem like that's an impossible, you know, I know there've been advances and discovery looks substantially different. uh, And as do the Star Trek films today. But TNG doesn't look that dated, let's say. It can't support that kind of the goofiness we're talking about. It doesn't have that same charm of the homemade, <laughs> which right. that the, the original Star Trek has. Well, and you, you don't have a Shatner either. And I think mm. we can't probably like uh, overstate like his importance to this whole thing because – Again, like you could have episodes that are like even kind of bottle episodes, you know, just like every they're stuck on the ship and there's very few special effects. But uh, Shatner will just have a scene and it just just brings the whole thing to life in in kind of a silly way. But and it, it is kind of a product of its time too. Just the, the, that acting style, you, just, you you can't really have that. I don't think in a show that at all wants to take itself seriously. But do you think that Shatner is, um, I don't know, hamming it up? Not intentionally, I don't think. I mean, I... It's worth talking about because, yeah, Shatner's totally... Because when people make fun of Star Trek, what do they make fun of, right? Yeah. They make fun of those goofy episodes or uh, other goofy elements, and they might uh, laugh at the bad special effects. that What they see as bad special effects, pretty cutting edge at the time. And then they laugh at Shatner. Yeah. They laugh at the captain... Talking like this. Right, right. Like that kind of stuff. And I don't do a good impression of him. <laughs> but having seen Shatner in other things and that character, Captain Kirk, in three seasons and then I guess the voices in the cartoon and then six, seven movies, I, I tend to think that he's created something there. He doesn't play that. I mean, he's not that ham in TJ Hooker or Mm-mm. not really. He's not playing the same character. So Captain Kirk is a very specific character. And maybe Captain Kirk is the ham. Not Shatner, but Captain Kirk is the ham. <laughs> He's kind of playing to his crew, kind of playing to the aliens, kind of... I don't know. I mean, there, there's something... I, I'd love to just watch the show again, if I can ever find the time, and just 
with that filter. Just with an eye towards explaining Captain Kirk's demeanor, the way he speaks, the way he, you know, he's a fan of Shakespeare, which makes him a, a possibly interested in being theatrical. Right. Uh, he used to be very shy, we hear. So is he putting on airs? To be in command of a ship, does he have to play a character? Hmm. And when do we ever see him quieter and himself? You know, is is he himself with Edith Keeler? Is he himself at times with Spock and Bones? Is he when is he himself? When does he lose that character um, that is seems like bigger than life? We consider it a part of his, the campiness of the show, but at the same time, I think there's there may be you know, a way to no prize it so to speak, <laughs> you know, that there's a reason in universe, in character reason for it. Well, and that might be supported too by like, a lot of that, that style of performance that he goes, goes away somewhat in the, uh, in the movies, not completely, but he, you, you don't get like those big performances in the movies that you do. In you the, know, cause in- when he does the, the whole con and the, that's very theatrical yeah, and turns out he's playing, turns out he's, mm. he's, mm. He, you know, mm. he, he knows he can get off the planetoid and it's, He's playing up to what Khan's expectations. Yeah, uh, that's there good. Be something there to might that. be something there. I mean, sometimes it's just you know Kirk has been inhabited by another consciousness, or he's playing the evil version of himself, or, or whatever. And, and so Shatner was doing something there that maybe he kind of grew out of, or maybe he decided to change along the way. That's not nearly as much fun as your theory. I like. I, I'm kind of with you. I'd like to kind of go back and watch the show now from that point of view. Yeah, maybe as simple as uh, oh, uh, Leonard Nimoy is doing this. Very, very restrained performance. Mm-hmm. And so if he's going to be this still and quiet, oh, well, I'll be big and boisterous. Right. And just to create contrast yeah. between the two. Yeah, maybe that's, it could be as simple as that. Just, you know, bouncing off another person and just developing in that way. Right. And I mean, if you look at the cage, Jeffrey Hunter doesn't, obviously he's not playing Kirk, but mm-hmm. his character is much more serious. Right. And, and Spock is more lively. So one wonders if it, there's not a directorial note in there to, okay well uh, we need you to be a little bit more and i don't know <laughs> <laughs> I, I have never even seen an interview where they've discussed this particular thing i don't know if people are sort of shy about asking and they, they may exist yeah but maybe sh- people are shy about asking shatner um why what were you doing play- <laughs> yeah what, what the hell were you doing there <laughs> Because he adapted that, you know, the the record where he uh, mm. reads um, uh, Hamlet and sings songs or uh, does spoken, you know, spoken word stuff is kind of like Kirk. Yeah, for sure. You know, if there's something fun about his spoken word albums, it is that it's, it's goofy. Yeah. So he's totally playing up, you know, playing into that element of his career. I don't know. Yeah, for sure. I enjoy Mr. Tambourine Man the same way that I enjoy a good goofy Kirk performance. So I guess, yeah, I guess his performance... And um, more than anyone else's, I'm not saying that any, no one else is camping it up uh, at times on the show. Maybe guest stars are. Uh, yeah, more than anything else, that's an iconic, goofy thing about the original Trek. As much as, you know, the, the silly consoles. Or, or the plots. Yeah, yeah. And it's just all part of its charm. It's just, it, it's all like why I love Star Trek, right? It's a- So what is your ultimate favorite goofy moment 
or episode oh, in the entire canon. The episode is, is probably Savage Curtain. And maybe, like, you know, it, it's hard not to pick Spock's brain because it is just so legendary. But Savage Curtain actually has, like, an interesting story to it. Uh, and actually has something I think is interesting to think about. Whereas Spock's brain just doesn't. Like, Spock's brain is just pure, just insanity. So I really find the Savage Curtain very, very watchable. Yeah, I'm not going to change my answer. I think uh, the way to Eden is still... And you know what? It's got everything to do with who I watched it last with sort of thing because the well not last maybe but uh while i was doing all those reviews on my blog whatever mm-hmm. i was watching each and every episode and i of course i had roommates and uh some of them were not trekkies to begin with <laughs> and um so shout out to carolyn who will not be listening to this but <laughs> she watched the uh space hippies episode and the space hippies became a thing around the house yeah and, uh, you know, we would, um, whenever we'd agree, we'd say we reach and, <laughs> and every episode that had space hippies or anything that was hippie-ish uh-huh. from then on in, in next gen or later, uh, later series, she would remark on it. And, you know, space hippies were a thing. And, we, we, you know, I'd, I'd be making like Christmas cards with space hippies on them. <laughs> and I kind of wish I could play the bicycle wheel, <laughs> you know, whatever that instrument is. So a lot of that, singing those songs, and and it's basically the Mystery Science Theater 3000 sure, formula. Right. You're sitting in front of this. It's silly. It's borderline stupid. Uh, you can mock it. It's got, but it's got memorable lines. Mm-hmm. It's got memorable ideas that you then incorporate into your uh your everyday pop culture in jokes yeah and all of that so watching anything like this alone while that can be enjoyable and i'm sure that's the reality for many of us uh, watching genre fiction sometimes <laughs> but you, you're lucky you know you're introducing uh you know your son to some of your favorites and so you always have a pal to watch it. I say always. Yeah, you know. For another couple of years anyway. I think he's a geek for life, but uh, good. I'm sure he's not going to live in the house forever. So <laughs> your story is really nice about uh, your roommate. And I think it really illustrates the point that you're watching it with her. She's not a Trek fan. and still isn't to this day. Like it, it certainly didn't change her mind about it, but she also didn't just kind of dismiss it and say, that's just stupid. And I'm not, it did kind of work its way into her to the point, like you guys are referencing it throughout the rest of your time, you know, in the same house together. So I think that's, mm-hmm. that's a test of some kind. And that's a lesson for the uh, the, tr- the Trekkie uh, themselves because you can't be so proprietary that, the like in this case, I laughed along with it. I mean, I, it's not like you've got a person watching it and saying, this is dumb and making fun of it. Mm-hmm. You can't then react badly and say, you can't laugh at my show. <laughs> right. uh, you can't laugh at my fandom. You've got to accept that, yes, it is. It can be stupid. And uh, and that's part of the joy, but you have to be able to share that joy with other people. And you can't just play the gatekeeper and say, well, uh, you just don't get it. I think you, you have to allow for that reaction because it's also a reaction that it's finding the show endearing at yeah. the same time. That's the opening the, the door to endearing as opposed to, oh, this is great. Uh, and then maybe the next episode will be great, but maybe they'll watch that next episode thinking that, oh, you know, I'd like a laugh. Right. And then they'll get tears instead. But (laughs) that's how you hook into it. Sometimes uh, it doesn't matter why you're watching. You'll eventually get to the good stuff, so long as there is good stuff. And in Star Trek's case, I think there is. Absolutely. Well, that's all the time we have tonight. But how about you pimp your projects? Uh, Where else can people (laughs) find you on the internet? So Killer Monsters is uh, still available everywhere. It's a nice, big, thick omnibus. It's like over 300 pages of... uh, 
giant robots fighting giant monsters, if that's your thing. Um, it is. <laughs> but I also do uh, a lot of podcasting, which I kind of all collect on my, my website, which is michaelmay.online. And uh, it used to be a blog. We were kind of blog brothers for a while, but uh, I really fell behind on the daily content. So now I just kind of just kind of let people know like what my latest uh, podcast project is. But they're all kind of nerd-related. I do a Tarzan podcast. I do a Thunder of the Barbarian podcast. I do... Uh, a Western podcast, but they're all kind of collected at michaelmay.online. And then you can find me on Twitter at michaelmaycomics with an X. And uh, I'll be a guest on one of those shows uh, soon. Yes. Yeah. Well, Michael, there's a transport ship waiting for you. This is how we treat our guests. <laughs> we send them away in, in lavish shuttles. Awesome. Uh, so thank you again for uh, spending this time with me. Oh, man. Thank you for having me. It was really fun talking to you about it. I'll stick around for Subspace Transmissions. That's Star Trek News and your feedback back on our previous episode we'll be back after this short pause i'm talking about you i'm talking about me long time back when the galaxy was new In 2011, the irredeemable Shag and Aqua Rob Kelly teamed up to create the Fire and Water podcast. In 2016, they teamed up with Ryan Daly, the Franklins, and Siskoid to form the Fire and Water Podcast Network. A network built on teaming up needs a show about team-ups. Marvel team-up. Yes. The brave and the bold. You know it. Marvel two-in-one. It's clobbering time. DC Comics presents... Of course. Supervillain team-up? Good idea. Youngblood X-Force? Mmm, technically. FW Team-Up, coming this summer, only from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Incoming subspace transmissions. In brief Star Trek news this month, CBS All Access has announced a new Star Trek animated series called Star Trek Lower Decks, which will focus on the support crew serving on one of Starfleet's least important ships. It's been greenlit for two seasons already by CBS and is being developed by Rick and Morty writer Mike McMahon. Here's the pitch. I want to do a show about the people who put the yellow cartridge in the food replicator so a banana comes out on the other end. So you get an idea of the tone. Too early to say when it will actually come out. I personally didn't think much of the first episode of Short Treks, but the next episode is in just two short days as the podcast flies, available on November 8th, and it stars Leverage's Aldous Hodge. On to your comments about episode 26, our Cardassian spotlight with special guest Mike Gillis. Chris Franklin first says, Great, thoughtful, and thought-provoking discussion, gentlemen. I'm not up on my DS9 as I should be. It's on my list of things to binge as it aired while I was in college and my watching was sporadic. Andrew Robinson is hugely underrated actor, so I'm glad he gets some love from Trek fans. He was also in the first Hellraiser, he reminds us. David S. Gutierrez uh, here says, I'm reminded of the Defiant episode of DS9. It featured a scene where Cisco and Ducat discuss the burdens of leadership and fatherhood. All his son wanted to do was to go to an amusement park, as Ducat promised, but then this damn Maquis stole a Federation ship. You know how it goes. 
the origin of a villain. Jeff R. says two more early great Cardassian episodes that didn't get specifically called out. Uh, the Implant, which starts Garrick's arc, and Civil Defense, where the metaphor of Cardassian presence, even when absent on DS9, turns concrete. Ido Bosnar says, interesting discussion, gentlemen, and it's always nice to hear Mike Gillis outside of his usual Radio vs. the Martians and podcast stomping grounds. Then he says, I have to add, though, that personally, Damar became one of my favorite Cardassians, precisely for some of the reasons you touched on in the show. He was less duplicitous than the other Cardassian heavies, a more intellectually limited, by-the-book soldier and official, but then he ultimately overcame his own limitations and redeemed himself to a certain degree. Next up, Tim Price uh, says, Only tangentially related is the question I've had about how the Federation technology could interact with the Cardassians in DS9. It's not just an electrical engineering question, but a programming one as well. Do their computers even use binary? How can their machine languages possibly match? The kind of interoperability uh, and hacking we have today is due to consistent hardware and software standards. Why would any alien culture have the same standards as the Federation's? Just a fun mental exercise. Santarin uh, wanted to answer this. Uh, he says, they do have tech issues interfacing with Cardassian technology all through the show into varying lengths. However, Cardassian tech would have been known by the Federation for at least 22 years by the time of DS9. I think Santarin is quite correct here, Tim. Uh, the problems with the tech interface kept Chief O'Brien pretty much in a state of pissed-offness for seven years. Michael Lane says, uh, This podcast has really rekindled my love of DS9, which I agree is the best of the Star Trek shows. Out of nostalgia, I would still call TOS my favorite because I always watch any episode of it, even Spock's brain. So I hope you like this episode. And be happy because I grew up on it. Uh, but... In my heart, I believe DS9 was the high point of Trek, and while I still consider the Klingons my favorite aliens due to TOS and TNG, the Cardassians come in a close second, and again, putting aside nostalgia, I do think they were far and away the most developed alien enemy race thanks to DS9. So I really loved seeing them get a focus on this show, and it inspired me to go back and rewatch the later seasons of DS9. Have fun, Michael. And here's Santarin's actual comment. He says, there are two ways that the Cardassians always made me think of the Spanish conquistadors. Interesting. He says, the Cardassian armor reminds me of the conquistador's breastplate, and the neck even has that somewhat frill look of the ruff. But after uh, that, some of the history, the independent Spanish kingdoms, through military and political means, were establishing themselves on the Iberian Peninsula as a way of expanding their influence and power. They set out to conquer or trade with and convert others, like the Cardassians, in their empire. In South America, they were readily able to do this because of their superior weapons in comparison to the natives already there, Cardassians versus Bajorans. And while their main reason for being in the Americas was resource extraction, they did try and claim it uh, was for the betterment of the people there by bringing Christianity to them. And in Spain itself, this is the time of the Inquisition, Obsidian Order parallels. Ducat has some major tangential story arcs that seem to mirror Cortez. Cortez came from the minor nobility and worked his way up. He had an illegitimate child with the people he was governing. He, he would fight his own people, but because he used this for further power for Spain, he, some, he was somewhat rewarded for his actions. And the major international coin used by Spain, uh, the ducat, does sound very similar and is only different by one letter to his own name. And while when people think of Spanish money, they tend to think of the doubloon, this just basically means 
two ducats. So that's a really interesting take on them, Santar. And I, the Cardassians really do have a lot of things going on in their DNA. Even if I don't know if uh, the Conquistadors were at all in the creators' minds, it may still have been in their subconscious. <laughs> Well, that's it for this month. As usual, let me remind you that you too can leave comments at fireandwaterpodcast.com, on the Fire and Water Facebook page, or on Twitter with the hashtag FWPodcasts. Until the next episode, this is Siskoid reminding you to go boldly.